looking at Belize because um, we, we go down to Belize quite a bit. Okay. And I'm actually looking at opening a bank account with Belize Bank, right? Okay. So you, you go online, you figure out what the requirements are, right? So okay. I've been talking to agents down there and I've been talking to bankers down there because that's... Two, three. All right, welcome to the How Trade Show. We talk to average people that have done above average things in real estate. The sponsor for today's show is House Rich by Clothing Ram right there. Use promo code P-O-D, short for pot, for 10% off. So today's guests, we have Chris and Steve. We want to talk to them about their real estate story. Um, I think it's really cool, especially since they are in the LA area. I know a lot of folks talk about, you know, real estate's way too expensive. They can't buy. There's a bunch of excuses why they can't buy real estate. And um, LA is one of the most expensive places to buy real estate in the world. So um Happy to have them share the story. You two want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Chris. I go by Chris the Money Mom on Instagram, and that is how we met. Um, I have an Instagram, a business focused on um, wealth building for women, so budgeting, saving, and investing. Um, this is my husband. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Steve. I am also in the uh, real estate investing space, I guess you can say. Uh, I don't really have much of a... Um, social media presence for yes. that but you know all right it's coming it's coming <laughs> okay okay cool yeah so i know like so i met uh kind of chris through instagram we're like in this engagement group which never says don't be in engagement group it, it, it was cool um and so yeah i know she shares like a lot of tips as far as like investing and so but i see like every now and then i'll see little bits of like real estate and she'd be like in miami doing stuff or you know not i don't know if she was in miami right now but she'd be in florida looking at stuff and i know she um um, had, had uh, kind of multiple real estate properties. So you two kind of share your um, real estate investing story. Like what got you into real estate in the first place? Some people say, hey, you should just, just rent and, you know, live cheaply. Right. Um, so I get that question all the time because my page is very much focused on like fire and early retirement and how to do it slow and steady with investing in index funds, et cetera. And people do get a glimpse of, oh, well, you own real estate and you're interested in investing in real estate, share your journey. How'd you get into that? And I always say um, it was my then boyfriend, now husband, who got me into real estate because at a young age, I, it just wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. Uh -huh. It's not something that I was familiar with. Um, my family didn't really talk about it. Uh -huh. So to me, buying a property or investing in real estate was like way up here. I was terrified of the home buying process. Um, and then here comes this guy that's just like, let's do it and introduce me to like bigger pockets and all kinds of educational resources. Um, so do you kind of want to share what got you into it? Because I was just along for the journey. <laughs> uh, well, you know, honestly, man, it, it came from just um, reading books, watching videos online and stuff. And okay. it's funny, anybody in that space will tell you um, the more that you kind of look into that stuff, the more you realize that most millionaires are made, you know, through real estate, uh -huh. whether, whether it's through ownership, whether it's flipping, whatever it is they're doing in real estate, you know, they, they say that most millionaires are born out of investing in real estate. So um, once I started to realize that I, I started to think, you know, I need to, I need to look into this a little more. Uh -huh. And, you know, a lot of times you find that people are, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, when analysis process tends to happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they, they start looking at it. They look at the numbers. They start hearing the terminology and, and they're like, man, you know what? This it's a little bit much. I'm going to do it next year. I'm going to uh -huh. do it next year. And then, yeah. you know, and they keep putting it off. So for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a house. We'll start with, we'll start with a place to live. All right. And, then, you know, we'll go from there. We'll figure it out. And were, were you two together at the time we bought a house or was that kind of like your, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were we were together. Okay. Um, so at the time, this was back in like 2015. Okay. At the time, the real estate market wasn't going as crazy as it is right now. Like it was actually yeah. kind of reasonable back then, right? So um back then, I mean, granted, you know, in the in the more affluent neighborhoods, things were still expensive, but you could get a decent house, 200 k 300 k back okay. then. You know what I mean? So um, for me, I started to look at it and I'm like, okay, I've, I've been reading these books and hearing about house hacking and, and hearing that multifamily is the way to go, at least to start out. So I started looking at fourplexes and it's like you said, um, California is expensive, man. Uh-huh. So are you guys actually in LA or outside of LA or where are you kind of living? In the city of Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough place to start. And I don't, I don't fault anybody for saying, you know, that it's difficult because it is, yeah. especially now. Um, but one thing I can say is that I'm glad we started uh, multifamily first. Okay. Because that really gives you the wiggle room to, to move forward, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of times people, people will tell you, hey, you know, a house is, is your best investment. But a single family house, let's be honest, it becomes a liability if you can't afford it. Okay. Well, you know, multifamily, at least you can get a tenant and have somebody start to help you cover that expense. Or even if it's a single family with an ADU, which I don't want to get too technical, but, you know, accessory dwelling unit, you start to make some money from it, you know? And so you talked about there were like books and stuff you saw online. Like what what particular books were you coming across that kind of helped you? Man, so she mentioned it early on. Um, I I stand by bigger pockets, Um, whether it's blog posts books just reading forms on the website and you know this is by no means sponsored or anything like that i just sure. really like bigger pockets the the books are very well written What's very Brandon simple Turner's book? Um, the Bur- about the burn method i just yeah, can't yeah. ever remember the title okay i could actually go grab i'll just grab a book just to at least show it so we can get get a concept of what uh what we're working with or does that matter yeah if you, if you want, want to grab a book that's that's fine I mean, just to show the people. I mean, yeah, go. just I'll, I'll grab one real quick. Are you editing the video at all when it's done? Uh, I, I, will, I guess I'll edit the video if, <laughs> if maybe. I'm going to YouTube now, so uh, yeah, editing takes it takes some time. Yeah, I've never I've never actually edited this this. I guess I, I will now. Yeah, I've never edited like this big video. I can do like the small ones on my phone because I have like InShot mm-hmm. and all that, but I've never actually edited the the long video. So I guess I'll I'll learn how to edit. If you're looking for a good editing software, I use um, Filmora. He actually put me on because he does videography amongst the other million things he does. Uh, Filmora is a really good uh, editing app software. I don't know what you call it. Okay. And that, that's for like the computer, the PC? Yeah, for the computer. Okay, oh, okay cool. Let me check that out. Okay, cool. Got so, yeah, so like I was saying, this was the book that I first read. Uh, it's called the book on why is it blurred out? That's because weird. Zoom blurs the background. <laughs> Let me see if I can turn that off. Well, right. it's called the book on rental property investing, right? Okay. Uh, by Brandon Turner. So, uh, if you want to plug that anywhere in there, okay. Yeah, I'll drop it in the uh, description down below. Oh, there we go. So, yeah, the book on rental property investing. Okay. That was where I started. Um, education, man. That's going to be the biggest thing at the end of the day. Um, okay. That's been the biggest driving factor. Okay. So I, I know like, um, you know, purchasing home is a, is a big decision. So w- was it hard? Did he have to like really, really convince you to actually um, get into the home ownership? You just, you're, you're ready yeah. to go? No, I do want to put the caveat in here for any women that might be listening or anyone who's dating who might be listening. 
it worked out well for us, but I do say proceed with caution if you are looking to purchase a home with someone that you are not married to, because I've seen uh, instances where it did not work out well. So it worked out well for us. Right. And I did need a lot of convincing, but proceed with caution. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned um, you were looking at like fourplexes in the Los Angeles, Los Angeles area. Did you end up going with the fourplex or how many units were you guys able to get? Or were you two able to get? No. We ended up going with the duplex as okay. our, our a duplex as a second property. Okay. Was there a particular reason? So the reason I'm asking, because uh, I know in like high cost living areas, passing like the FHA self-sufficiency test is like almost impossible from what I hear. Um, was that an issue or you, just, you, you two just say we're going with the duplex? So it, it, that's actually true. It is, it is kind of difficult to qualify, um, you know, for enough to actually purchase. Because when you're looking at four units, you're, you're talking $700,000, $800,000 properties easy uh -huh. in Los Angeles. And that's cheap. On, right. And on average, the average uh, FHA home bar is probably going to qualify for closer to like five or six. Okay. So, you know, that, that may very well put most people in the, uh, in the duplex category. But um, I, don't, I don't think that that was really the issue for us at the time. I think it was more of what we could handle. You know okay. what I mean? Um, being brand new investors, jumping straight into a fourplex, could we do it? Yeah, but the issue then becomes is now you're managing people on top of managing property. Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing and if you don't have the funds to cover that, you're going to put yourself in a hole a lot faster. Okay. So how, how did you go about um, managing people? Like, did your first property, did it come with a tenant? Was there, did you have to find tenants or how's that um, life being a landlord? So we actually had to... Um... Man, listen, we were, <laughs> she was doing open houses. She was in there for hours a day, like meeting people, interviewing people, trying to make sure that you know, you don't have a meth lab getting built in your uh, back house. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, I think the biggest thing that people need to realize if they are going to get into this space is that it's a business. Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not buying a house and then renting it out to, to somebody just so you can make a little income. Like it's a business. You need to know who you're putting in there. You need to know what it's going to cost you monthly mm -hmm. to be able to manage those, those different variables. So talk about how, how do you manage, how do you figure out what like your cash flow is going to be like? Because I know obviously it's more than just, you know, rent minus or mortgage minus your rent. How do you guys figure out what was a good deal for you at the time? Uh, so, yeah, that's actually really important. So for me, um, it came back down to, to knowledge, learning, learning all the little ins and outs. Um, there are certain things that people don't think about when they're calculating cash flow. You'll get somebody that tells you, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm cash flowing $1,500 a month. And then you ask them, okay, well, how much are you putting aside for this? And how yeah, much are yeah. you putting for this? And, you know, and then you realize, okay, so you're, you're really cash flowing like $500 a month after you, you know, account for all those different expenses. Because what happens to a lot of landlords and why they end up quitting is that they go into it, they think their cash flow is this, and then their water heater goes out and they get a hole in the roof. And now you're like, well, damn, I don't have the cash for that. What do I do? Yeah. You know what, landlord and landlording is terrible. I'd never do it because you know you're never ready for this, this, and this. But you didn't plan for it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, those capital expenses can be can be a killer. Because yeah, that roof will need to be repaired. Maybe it's ten years, maybe it's fifteen years. But yeah, yeah, got to put that money aside. And especially here, um, <laughs> LA is is is. While it's a beautiful city, don't get me wrong, it's people love it. Duct tape. Yeah, man, <laughs> LA is down bad. Like. <laughs> Most of these properties were built in the 20s and 30s, looking uh, at old buildings. So for you to come in and think you're not buying something that's going to have some issues is is highly unlikely. Unless, 
you know, unless you have that kind of money and you're buying something that was recently built, you're, you're coming into some problems. So that, that's a good point. So I know like LA um, or as California in general had just a bunch of laws for everything. It's, are the buildings like you find like super old because there's a bunch of like code issues now that, that, that folks don't want to have grandfathered in? Or is it, is it like super expensive to like do repairs and stuff, do like codes and stuff in LA? That's, 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 I think that's one of the big issues. Um, so here's the thing. If you have a property that's grandfathered in and all of its issues fall into a category where you don't necessarily have to repair it, the, the problem is once you start to open that, that can of worms, uh-huh. now you're required to fix everything. Okay. So that expense starts to pick up real fast. You know what I mean? Because everything has to be up to code. So you can't bring up one portion of it, you know, bring that portion up to code and not bring everything else with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's what keeps a lot of landlords from really bringing their buildings up to speed. But if the money's not there, if you don't have that money to do that, mm-hmm. there's no way to get that done. You know, have you two had to go through the, that process of bringing stuff up to code? Have you been lucky? What about the bathroom on the first property? Right. So we were actually able to do a, um, a full bathroom remodel. But again, that wasn't cheap. Like they, they have to go out and get all the permits. And like you said, LA, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of things you got to be concerned with. So when it comes time to start rebuilding and revamping things, yes, it's expensive. So we've experienced it to some degree, but I think we're going into that, (laughs) that dangerous space of like, Hey, we're going to start spending some money on these places. Uh And so you talked about um, at the beginning with that first property, like Chris, you were doing a bunch of like Tenant screening, can you talk about how you, you know, evaluate tenants on, you know, hey, if this is somebody I want to live, you know, literally share a wall with me. How do you go about screening those those tenants? Yeah, sure. So we started with some pretty good software. And again, I'm going to refer to you. What was the name of? The- uh, Hemlane. Hemlane. Um, I was more of just like the open house person, to be honest. All right. <laughs> um, and making sure that they passed all of the, the requirements, background check, et cetera. Um, do you want to talk about more of the tenant screening? Since you were you were more on the phone with the tenants, I was there to let them in the property. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what, food for thought when it comes to tenant stuff, um, you don't want to f- fall into that trap of being discriminatory. Um, that's actually a really big thing, uh, especially here in California. You know, people are are very much sensitive about about anything that could be potentially discriminatory. Uh-huh. And a lot of times you may have the purest intentions and it gets perceived the wrong way. And now you're fighting a court battle because you're trying to explain why your house isn't compliant with this, you know, ADA or this uh-huh. thing. You know, so when it comes to tenant screening, you can never go based on purely on your interactions with somebody. I always say, it needs to be on paper. You know, they have to look okay. good on paper before you even meet with them, right? Okay. Um, and a lot of times for new landlords, that's good to keep in mind because you can cut out 75% of your problem tenants on the front end. Because okay. um, like I said earlier, it's a business. So if someone doesn't qualify, I don't care what sob story they come to you with about why they're trying to get a new house. I get it. And I'm sorry, but you don't qualify for this house. It's unfortunate. And it's sad to say, but this is a business. At the end of the day, uh-huh. if you can't pay your mortgage, you're both going to be on the street. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, you know, they, they got to stand by that. Um, so for me, it was always, they got to qualify on paper first. And then once they qualify on paper, you meet with them and then you go from there and get a feel for who you're dealing with. 
So how, how do you determine if somebody like qualifies? What's the process that um, you two use to say, hey, this person is worthy or qualified to live uh, next door to me, next to all of me? <laughs> <laughs> and see that right there, that that kind of creates that that discrimination kind of <laughs> concept. And it's not it's not necessarily that they qualify to live next door to me as much as their income and stuff qualifies to be able to afford the rent in this area or for this particular house, right? Okay. Um, because again, you don't see these people. So you, I have no idea who this person is. I don't know who they are as a person. So I can't say, hey, this person qualifies to live next door or live in, you know, in my back house. Um, but what I can say is that their employment history shows that they've been employed for a reasonable amount of time and they're probably not gonna lose their job. Their credit history looks good. They pay their bills. You know what I mean? They don't have any criminal convictions that they may be running. Lord knows what kind of criminal operation out of the house. Right. Things like that matter. You know what I mean? And once you knock those details out, then you can start looking at who they are as an individual, get to meet them and say, hey, do you want to come stay here? But at the point where they have a 500 credit score and unfortunately, you know, they've been popped for drug dealing three or four times, mm-hmm. it's just not going to work because yes. now I'm going to end up trying to deal with all these different variables once you're in the house. And it's it's much harder to move somebody out than it is to prevent them from moving in in the first place. Okay, okay, make, makes sense. Okay, you, this initial screening process gets rid of a lot of stuff, then you kind of do the, the talking and then evaluate them from, from Personal, there. Yeah, like, are we gonna be able to interact with each other and not end up in court yelling at each other about small issues? Gotcha. You know what I mean? Gotcha. If you gotcha. are gonna house hack. And, and so what kind of boundaries do you set with tenants as well? You know, because I assume they know you own the place because you're right next door. You've met with them. Um, you know, as far as, you know, them not knocking your door at 8 p.m. for for my stuff. Like, what kind of boundaries do you set, if you do set boundaries with your, your tenants? So I'll be honest with you. And this is, uh, <laughs> this is um, we're going to call this a little, a little hack. I don't generally tell them that I'm the owner right out of the gate. Okay. Um, a lot of times it makes more sense to, which is why she was doing the open house. Okay. I wasn't present for that. You know what I mean? Because when they come in, they meet with her, you know, they're doing all this stuff, but ultimately the decision was going to fall into my lap. Okay. I didn't want to interact with them too much to where they felt like, Hey, I, I can go talk to this dude and get what I want done. Right. So it became, we're just working with the owners to try and accomplish X, right. We're trying to get this place rented for the owners. And as a landlord, what that does is it puts you out of the equation so that you don't have to be forced to make that decision. Okay. But you can always say, hey, you know what? Um, I see that you want to get X, Y, and Z done. Let me let me call over to the owners real quick and see what they say. All right, I- I'll get back to you. And honestly, that at least gives you that buffer time to go back, crunch the numbers and see if that's something that you can work with. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Yeah. And you can do it over the phone, call them back like, hey, yeah. I talked to the owners and they said, yeah, that's cool. So we're going to go ahead and get it done. But, I, you know, as long as you're not the decision maker, uh-huh. you put yourself in a position to where you don't have to, you know, be dealing with what you just asked about. Okay. Yeah, that's smart. So actually, the, the first place I ever bought a house at, and my, my roommate didn't know I even owned the place for five years. So, yeah, I, I, yeah I, same thing you said. I didn't want to be, like, too familiar. With, well, not too familiar, but I didn't want them to know I owned it because, you know, they ask a lot more questions or a lot oh, more yeah. little minor things that they know that, hey, the person that can fix it is literally uh, down the hall. So, right. Yeah. There. It's, like, it's like, you own the place, right? You could get it done. Yeah. Like, no, nah, I don't own it. <laughs> I think the type of properties we chose also uh, is helpful. I mean, just okay. from a woman's standpoint and knowing that I've wanted a family at the time and now we have a family, 
um, choosing properties that are two separate, like detached units instead of sharing a wall or, you know, being that in that close proximity. So having a yard in between or something to separate the units um, has been helpful as well. Oh, okay. So, okay. So they were detached. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so was that, that's the first property you bought was like the detached? Both of them, both duplex. Yeah. Okay. So that goes into my next question. So when did you figure out, hey, it's time to to move on? I'm going to rent out this property and, and go get another one. When did you two figure out that? Were you going to do that? Um, well, you know what? Honestly, man, it uh, it came down to numbers, right? Exactly yeah, it came it came down to the numbers. Um, when we first bought the place, our goal was to be in and out of there in a year, year and a half. It ended up taking closer to like almost four years. Okay. We weren't able to put together the money, first of all, right away. So we had to save up over time and we were able to pull some of the equity. The uh, And that was what really made that first purchase so great. Okay. The equity position. We were able to pull like maybe 60 or 80,000 out of that place within three to four years, which is, that's unheard of in other parts of the country. Uh-huh. Um, so to be able to get close to hundred grand out of that place in such a short period of time was actually beneficial because what that did was put us in a position to be able to purchase another one in the LA area, you know? Okay. But that, that, that place itself, was it like, um, you were just, you were just positioned at that point, like, Hey, we're just trying to rent this out. We're going to cash flow and kind of start building our, you know, our, our empire. Is that the plan to kind of keep getting more and more properties? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I, I hate that it keeps coming back to bigger pockets, but um, in bigger pockets, it's, they talk about this thing called the stack, right? Okay. So, with the stack is basically the the concept is that you'll buy you'll buy a certain set number of units, and then you just continue to double it, right? Okay. So you buy a duplex, you wait until you get in a position to be able to buy a fourplex, and then from the fourplex, same thing. You let the equity build. You pull from that equity if you need to, or you save up, or you make you know make money doing other things. And from that fourplex, you get your eight unit. The cash flow from that eight unit is going to put you in a position to where you can now purchase your sixteen. Okay. Once you look at how that's starting to stack up, it's 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 almost an exponential growth because now you're looking at thirty-two units on that next purchase. You're buying large commercial properties at that point. You know what I mean? Okay. And you're building experience along the way. And I think that also plays a lot into it. You know, it's not all about money because, then, you know, we could get into, to, you know, financing and different, um, different creative financing options and on all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. So I was going to say, it's, um, I apologize. I can't remember if I, I asked this in the pre-interview or during the actual podcast, but I know you purchased your first home with an FHA loan. You made the decision to purchase this second property with FHA loan, right? Because you, you two were, were not married at the time. You talk about that decision to, to kind of do right. that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were not married. So we the initial, the initial property was purchased. Uh, and in order to try to make it work, I had just purchased, or we purchased it in my name individually, uh-huh. right? Uh, so I, I held title as a single man because at the time we weren't married. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like she said, she felt like she was taking a huge risk. And I, you when definitely, you put your money into something, <laughs> you definitely need to think about that. Don't, you know, don't get in bed with somebody unless you know that it's like a safe <laughs> bet, right? Because I could have just ran off, you know, hey, you know what? This is done. I'm going to keep the house. 
have a nice life, right? <laughs> Not what happened, but it can happen. So yeah. definitely food for thought, right? Um, but yeah, the place was purchased uh, with me, single man. And then we ended up, I don't know if we got, we got married before. Here? Or after? After. After. So um, at the time that we purchased the second property, we still weren't married yet, right? Mm -hmm. So how you hold title uh, is going to play into what kind of financing you're able to get. Um, at the time, because we weren't married, she was able to purchase the property in her name. And then we held title as joint tenants. Okay. Uh, so FHA has some loopholes in that even though I owned a property that was FHA backed, I was able to go on title with her on this property because it would be her primary residence, which I was just uh, um, assisting her in being able to uh, purchase, right? Okay. So theoretically, yeah, you can't hold two properties with FHA financing at the same time, especially not this close together, like in terms of proximity. It wasn't refied to conventional first? No. No. Um, so basically by just going on title as a joint tenant who's basically just helping her to achieve the uh the financing mm -hmm. we were able to acquire that second property in both our names okay that's awesome and so for folks that don't know yes it's a, fha basically is a, a primary residence uh loan and so since you you were just um i'm not sure where you were in that status if you were fiancés or about to get married but you're either married or not as far as fha is concerned uh, so if you're not married like i say you're just another person helping someone else mm -hmm. on my home so yeah that's a uh, a hack that if you if you know you're going to marry somebody you can kind of kind of run that play and um, <laughs> like uh, so, so even even with me like the, the home i'm in right now this single family home me and my uh fiance now wife we're going to get married like in in like three weeks after closing but our loan officer pulled us aside and was like hey i know there's only three weeks but you know he said it seems like beware you never know what can happen putting somebody on, on title um if you're not married so uh, yeah that, that, that is something you got to make sure you really really feel comfortable with that person uh, in, a, in a lot of lot of aspects. Um, and so have you guys sold any of the properties? I know, um, like looking at Chris's page, I know you were talking about using the, the 1031 exchange at some point in time, or how did that come about? Yeah, so we had planned on doing the 1031 exchange on the initial property that we bought, um, especially, I'm just, I'm always impressed by the numbers. We had bought it at 380, which now I look back and I'm like, we bought a duplex in Los Angeles for how much? 380,000. If I saw one now oh, <laughs> for 380, oh, oh my man. gosh, a steal. Um, and, you know, it gone up so significantly in value. And mm -hmm. um, we had planned on doing the 1031 exchange. Um, do you want to talk about a little, little bit about what happened and why we're not going that route? Um, do you want me to kind of break out or break down what a 1031 is or? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So ultimately a 1031 exchange is just a, uh, it's ultimately a tax deferral. So basically what it is, is you're selling one property and you're moving into another like kind property of a higher value ultimately. Um, and you're deferring the taxes. So basically you're rolling the profits straight into this other purchase without having to pay taxes on it until you intend to sell. Um, one thing I can say is when it comes to, to a 1031, you need to have all your ducks in a row, right? Because there's a time limit between the time that you um, decide to sell that first property and when you need to identify the next property. Uh, the problem that we ran into and why ours fell through is that the uh, listing agent that we had for the initial property, the one that was supposed to put it on the market and get it sold, 
she didn't necessarily market it correctly. So it sat on the market for a good 60 days um, before we were actually able to even try to identify another property that we wanted to purchase. Okay. Um, so while we were waiting, I started to look at it. And I'm like, okay, we have about 150,000, 200,000 in equity. And we were going to roll that into another purchase. But then I started looking out of state. And I know you mentioned that earlier. I started looking out of state and I thought, okay, we could 1031 into a bigger property here, or we can just refinance, do a cash out refi, take that money and roll that into something cheaper out of state that's probably going to have a higher cash flow. So, um, especially looking at what we wanted out here, like a four unit easily goes for a million dollars. They're over a million dollars. And, now, man. and that's in the hood. Yeah. <laughs> like in the- <laughs> Yeah, you you uh, <laughs> million dollars doesn't get very far. It doesn't get very far in California anymore, man. Um, so the ten thirty one is a very useful tool if you already own property. Very useful um, because in reality, you never really have to pay taxes on that if you just keep rolling yeah, keep into bigger, on, yeah. bigger properties. Yeah, granted, when you do eventually decide, you know what, I want to cash, I want to sell and cash out, you're gonna get hit hard. But if you don't sell, if you just hold on to the properties as you move into bigger and bigger assets, you, you never have to really pay taxes on that because you, you never really realize those gains. Yeah. So it's That's definitely true. worth it to look into. Yeah, so yeah, as, as a loan officer, I, I first got introduced to it about five years ago. And like I said, I thought it was an airplane with a guy was like, I want to do a 1031. Because he was kind of like flip, <laughs> he literally flipped jets. So I was like, oh, I, I think like I knew what it was. And I called my manager, I was like, what in the world is a 1031 this guy wants to do it? And so, like, he's done he's done three of them, like, in five years. So, like you said, he just kept rolling over the the, the 1031 just, like, every like every year and a half he called me, hey, I'm getting a new property, I'm selling this and stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a great tool. To, that's, that's game right there, man. Yeah, so, so never never pay, pay taxes on. And so you two mentioned that you were looking out of state. Um, so why is that? Was it just because it's too expensive in L.A.? Or just you're looking to – I know, Chris, I, well, I guess you both travel a lot. I see – you're always on some beach, it seems like, <laughs> somewhere. Were you like, hey, I want to buy a place because we're, we're going to a bunch of places anyways? Or kind of what's the decision to, to go out of state? That's what it is for me. I mean. Uh, well, for me, one, it's just, it's so expensive in Los Angeles. Um, and two, I know I, I had toyed around with the idea of moving at some point to a different state. Okay. Um, I don't know <laughs> what, how I feel about that now, but um, I at one point wanted to live in Florida, move to Florida. Um, and things are just so much more reasonably priced out there. Uh-huh. And so are you, are you looking actively or is it just kind of like maybe in, in the back of your mind or? So I'm, um, yeah, no, I'm actively looking, uh, but it won't be uh, to move. It'll be for short-term rental uh, cash flow. Um, so for me, it's not about the, the price point. I knew California was expensive. I accept that about California. Um, for me, it's about the traveling. Okay. Uh, I just, I really just like the idea of having a vacation home in Florida, yeah. you know, and my goal is to eventually go internationally only because I know that not only will that make money, like a lot of money as a short-term rental, but it gives you a place to go and lay your head if you feel like traveling, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily have to go get a hotel or book an Airbnb. You already own the place. You just block it off on your calendar and you go down there when you're ready. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the big thing for me. Uh-huh. Um, 
but the income aspect certainly doesn't hurt. Also, I think you get more bang for your buck depending on where you go. Yeah, um, and this may sure. just be me being biased against Los Angeles. How many people are really coming over here to vacation the way that they might be going to Miami to vacation with their family on the beach? And then if people are coming here on vacation, where are they looking to stay? And what is the price point and the places that they're looking to stay um, if they're coming to visit, you know, Los Angeles? Um, so I just think you would get more bang for your buck if you're looking at hot vacation spots okay. elsewhere in the United States. So what would be the, the game plan to actually like manage that property? You know, because obviously you're literally on the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest thing is having a team. You got to have boots on the ground. Okay. Um, so I've actually flown out to Florida a couple of times, you know, just to meet people and try to develop a network. Um, so like I told you previously, this is a business. Yeah. This is not something you can do on a whim. It's not something that you just kind of, you know, haphazardly do on the side when you feel like it. Like it's a business. So you got to have people that are ready and willing to work for you. And you have to have the numbers in place to make it work for you. You know, so um, if you do decide to buy out of state, you're going to have to have, you know, property management. You're going to have to have an agent down there. You're going to have to have people on the ground that can kind of grease those wheels and keep things going. Otherwise, it's going to come to a screeching halt and you're going to feel it in your pocketbook. So, so how do you actually go about like vetting those people? Is it just a phone call? Are you looking at Google reviews or how do you, how are you vetting those people? Even when we're looking at Texas, like knowing people who are already doing it and what, who their team is um, and knowing that they've already had, you know, they're tried and tested and have done well for someone that we know. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. A lot of times it's going to come down to interacting with these people, finding out what they're charging for services, what type of services they're providing, what they're doing, and then putting that against other services in that area. Um, okay. I really hate to make this thing sound like just a big plug for bigger pockets, but that's, that's, cool. that was, that's what it's coming yeah, back yeah, to. Yeah. But that's the reality of it. There's forums online. So what I did was I went on the forum, I looked at Florida and I said, hey, does anybody know a good uh, property management company out here? And you're going to get 50 responses. And people are like, man, these are the people. Call these people. They're, you know, they're the ones. And you go to their website and, you, I mean, you got to do your research. You go to their website, you check them out, and you start to realize, oh, wow, they, they, you know, they manage this building and this building and they work with this company. And you call them up and you talk to them and they're like, hey, these are the services we provide, boom, boom, boom. And you realize, okay, that's actually, that's not bad. You know, they'll... They'll handle, you know, they'll handle the tenant relations. They'll handle the cleanup. They'll handle the bookings. They'll, if you are going the short-term rental route, and if you go long-term, they'll handle getting your handyman out there if something goes wrong. They'll handle the plumbing. They'll, you know, you find a company that's going to do all that for you, and you find the people that can get it all done. And here's the thing. As quick as you hire a company, you can fire a company. You got to get, get into the understanding that, Terminate people when they're not doing, you know, they're not handling the business the way you need them to handle it. And I know I sound very cutthroat. So yeah, yeah, it would be, be the same. Exactly. And so you've mentioned international. Like, how, how do you purchase property? You look at like purchase property in like another country. Yeah. Yeah. So um, even with that, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. So. We're looking at Belize because um, we, we go down to Belize quite a bit. Okay. And I'm actually looking at opening a bank account with Belize Bank, right? Okay. So you, you go online, you figure out what the requirements are, right? So yeah. I've been talking to agents down there and I've been talking to bankers down there because that's two things that you're going to need. 
-hmm. You're going to need somebody to handle the money aspect and you're going to need somebody to handle the actual acquisition of the property, right? Okay. Um, So basically, Belize Bank has a requirement, hey, you need to house at least $4,000 minimum in your account at any time as an international client, right? So you deposit four grand and you start to develop that relationship, right? So now I have a relationship with the bank. I have an agent that's sending me new properties every time they're listed. So now I have a relationship with that agent, right? So now what I'm going to do is go and develop a relationship with a short-term rental management company, find out who they're, you know, what they're managing and how they're managing. And now I have that relationship. So now I have a banker, I have a real estate agent, and I have rental property management, right? So now all I need to do is look for a property and come up with the money and find the financing through the banking relationship that I've already developed so that we can actually acquire the property. Okay. So once it's acquired, it gets, you know, the intent is for it to be short-term. So it gets listed. And now I hire that um, short-term rental management company that I've been working with and it starts to kind of run itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, is it similar to buying a property? Like what criteria? So I know every country is different, but obviously Belize we're talking about, is it, like, because obviously you don't you don't have credit and believe like how do what is the criteria you need to like get a home? So that's just it. So um, every country is different, right? So you want to go to international investor friendly countries, which Belize happens to be one of those, right? Okay. Um, there's even countries down there like uh, where were we at recently that uh, I think it was Antigua, Antigua and Barbuda. They actually give <laughs> you citizenship if you invest in property down there like they'll make you an honorary citizen as a property owner um so again it's relationship building um it's no different than trying to get it here if i want chase to finance a home for me i need to have a relationship with chase they need to see money going in and out of an account so that they can know that i'm going to be able to pay for this thing if they're going to put their name on it right Mm -hmm. so that's really no different with an international banking relationship, right? I'm gonna open this account, I'm gonna deposit this money and I'm gonna make regular deposits into that account and build up a nest egg with them. Because at the end of the day, if they see money coming in, then they know, hey, I can lend to these people and know that my uh, that their money's gonna be safe or that my money's gonna come back in and, and pay them back for the loan that they've uh, sent out, correct? Yeah. So it, it really boils down to relationships and you just have to develop that. I was looking at the DR for a while and mm-hmm. same thing. I contacted the bank, found out what the minimum requirements were. And then I started looking at how much money I would need to put into that account to make it worthwhile over time. Okay. And, you know, it, it, it really comes down to just asking the right questions. And okay. if you have that question and you want to know specifically for that country, what needs to be done, a quick Google search, a quick Google search and a phone call, they go a long way. Okay. Okay. Google where most answers are found. <laughs> <laughs> Google University, man. Yeah. Okay, cool. I did, I, I've never thought about that. I've always um, warned about people about it. I think you have to be like super rich to, to buy a home and you have to throw <laughs> down cash. But yeah, just Google it. I guess that's what I tell folks about mortgages all the time. Probably 90% of the questions you ask me, you can just Google, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Granted, granted, they, they require a little bit more down. So you're looking at probably like a 30% down payment. Um, and what I find is that the financing terms tend to be a little different. So it's not just going to be like a straight 30, 30 year fixed rate, you know, 2.99%. Like it's not going to be very straightforward like that, right? A lot of times what you end up doing with international financing is 30% down, 
then they finance 30% over a period of years. And then the remainder is on that long-term 15 to 30 year spread. Okay. That's something to, to look into for me, me and my wife. And yeah, I, know, I, yeah. I, I never even contemplated that, but it's uh, go a little and figure it out. Okay. So I'll put that on my, my, uh, my to-do list. Definitely, there. man. It's worth, it'll be worth it. I, I know it's going to be worth it for us. So uh-huh. it's worth it. Uh-huh. Okay, so we even talked about Cali, Florida, internationally. I think we've covered pretty much. I did not expect to leave the United States with this, this series of uh, <laughs> that, that's uh that, that's uh cool. And so um jumping back to the the beginning of the video where um kind of talking about how I um met Chris just through just through being like on Instagram, you talk a little bit more about like your your platform and how you like empower. I think it's directed at women, but everybody as far as uh, fi- financially. It is directed uh, mostly toward women um, yeah. because I feel like our experiences are slightly different. Yeah. And um, but the the advice is for anyone. I get random messages. I get messages where men are like, "Is your advice for women only?" Or like, "Can I use this advice?" <laughs> I'm like, "Please, by all means, utilize this advice." Um, but yeah, I talk about budgeting, saving, and investing. Um, heavy focus on the investing in the stock market for women because it's not something that we talk about much. Um, I've noticed a lot of the financial advice for women is how to save money on groceries and how to coupon and how to like, you know, even manage your family's budget, but not how to build wealth um, and how to gain wealth in the stock market and even what to invest in. So that's kind of what I do um, on Instagram and now YouTube and my website. Did I answer your question? I went on a rant and forgot what your question was. That was cool. That, that, was, that was a good answer. So what inspired you to get on there? Because I know when I first started following you, like you didn't even post your face on there and now you're like dancing on videos. And, and all <laughs> so like, what inspired am, you to I even get on thought, Instagram in the first place? I never thought I would be uh, seven months pregnant dancing on YouTube or on Instagram videos, uh-huh. on Reels. When I first got on Reels, I was like, I'll never dance. I'll never like lip sync. I'll never do all these things. And now I'm just like, whatever, whatever's going to get the views. Um, but it, I started my Instagram account as a way to track my journey. I'm going to talk about this a lot. I had a lot of financial shame. Um, and I think it's important to know that our finances are separate. I mean, that works for us and our relationship. So I did it to document my financial journey and getting out of debt um, and I had so much shame that I didn't want to put a face to the account. I was like, what if like my family or my coworkers see this and they know all the bad decisions I made. The likelihood of someone finding me on Instagram was like slim to none, but I was still some, for some reason, scared and nervous. Um, and I followed certain financial gurus, um, and realized that it didn't work for me and it wasn't good financial advice. So I continued to document my financial journey, grow the account, eventually shared my name and face <laughs> and kind of, um, changed the trajectory of the accounts from, you know, budgeting and saving money and couponing and everything that is geared towards women currently and growing it into, okay, we can invest in the stock market. We can do X, Y, and Z. We can be like the, um, you know, the men that talk about this. I feel like when you Google personal finance, you see a certain character yeah, online yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not me. So I love, and I built a community of women um, around me as well that you know I can relate to. So there's a ton of great um, women of color in the personal finance space that I surround myself with. Um, but I wanted to share that journey, that journey from budgeting and I just have to be debt free. I have to have you know zero dollars in debt. And this man was like, have a zero credit score, no credit score, whatever this man was talking about. Uh-huh. To <laughs> okay, how 
can you build wealth? How can you even use um, debt to build wealth? What is good debt? What is bad debt? What should you be doing? How much should you have an emergency fund? What can you invest in? Um, how can you calculate how much you might need to retire early, et cetera? Because these weren't things that I, I heard normally geared towards women. So it's it it grew and now here I am and I I look to do this full time at some point. Okay. Uh, I'm creating an ebook and a course coming out soon. So yeah, that's where we are with Chris the Money Mom. So what what is, what is good debt? What is what is bad debt? Since you brought it up. Okay, so bad debt <laughs> is high interest consumer debt like credit cards, um, personal loans, and I was uh, over a hundred thousand dollars in like bad debt, like serious debt. Um, and good debt would be mortgages, anytime you're using, you know, other people's money to build wealth. So mortgages, some people consider consider student loans good debt um, because you are using it to build your skill set to make yourself more marketable to earn more money. Okay. Um, so instead of saying, hey, you need to be debt free before investing, what I teach people, and I always tell them I'm not a financial advisor, this is not, you know, this is for education purposes only, yeah. but pay down your bad debt and then begin investing. So create an emergency fund, pay down your bad debt. You don't have to be debt-free before investing. It's all about return on your investment. So if you can make more money in the market or more money in real estate by putting your money there, then you are paying on your APRs and your debts. It is a good idea to invest because if you wait until you're debt-free, especially if you're someone with as much debt as me, you're missing out on thousands upon thousands of dollars mm -hmm. by sitting on the sidelines or sending all of your discretionary income to debt. And it just doesn't make good financial sense. Got it, got it. Okay. Um, so uh, my my last question of the uh, interview is um so let's this uh, so let's say you get a million dollars and for some reason you have to spend it in a week on like real estate adjacent stuff. It could be a house, it could be real estate related. Like what what would you do with that? A million dollars, you have like a week to spend it, and you or you don't you don't get it. So if it's a million dollars for me, I don't know what he would do. <laughs> <laughs> I would use it to buy more multifamily property. Um, and I wouldn't buy it outright in cash, like $1 million for one property. Because again, if I, especially if I'm doing it in Los Angeles, $1 million is going to get me one property, maybe two. Um, but I would use it as down payments on more multifamily property if I had to. Uh, I mean, I don't know how I would execute that in a week, to be honest. I don't mean, I didn't really think of <laughs> the questions. So I just started doing, asking for questions. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I would do um, to, to increase monthly cash flow. Okay, cool. Um, but that is the end of the podcast. Once again, where can folks uh, find you both at? Sure, you can find me at Chris the Money Mom, Chris the Money Mom on Instagram and on YouTube. Um, and my website is ChrisTheMoneyMom.com. Again, I talk about building wealth um, for women, but for anybody, you can still utilize these <laughs> tips if uh, you are not a woman. Um, intro to stock market investing, etc. My husband's, I'm working on getting him uh, comfortable enough to build up his Instagram account and his social be, media. He should, should have a camera in your videos every now and then. So, <laughs> um, so he, uh, he is not currently active on social media, um, but I do share bits and pieces about our real estate investing journey as well on my social media page on Chris the Money Mom. Okay. Um, so feel free to <laughs> To share. Sorry, our dog just ran in the house, um, and I totally got distracted. But at Chris, no, the money. No, no problem. And so, uh, actually, second to last question. So you said you're coming out with like an ebook, or yes, I am coming out with an ebook. Um, it's like a, a total money roadmap. So from 
step one, if you have debt, et cetera, two, investing for the future. So it goes over four um, sections of personal finance, like personal finance 101. So budgeting, how to, how to budget, how to save an emergency fund, how to pay off high interest debt. And we go over some of those debt payoff strategies and how to begin to invest, investing in employer-sponsored accounts, tax advantage accounts, investing in brokerage accounts, what can you invest in, um, and how to plan for the long-term, how to plan for FIRE if that is something you're interested in. So that's all covered in one ebook. It's currently with uh, my digital designer. What would you call this person? They're, they're designing it and making it look beautiful because I'm not good at that. I can just write it but I have no uh, no creativity there. Oh. <laughs> so it should be done um, hopefully by New Year. Oh, okay, okay. In a few okay, days. Cool. So we will, uh, I'll put that uh, link for that ebook into this episode, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening, I know I did like that, but listening to the podcast. So um, cool. So yeah, we'll have those um, research for you. We'll have her contact or yours, maybe Stevens too. I don't know if we have, <laughs> if we have contact info by then in the episode description as well. So um. Appreciate you too. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, there's no outro to this podcast, so it is over. <laughs>